We observe today not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on talk radio. The human zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Stand to attention when I'm talking to you! On talk radio. Dismiss! Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio where we are about to enter another fabulous week for the fulfilment of promises made after Dominic Cummings plunged a dagger into the hopes of Remain MPs by telling them that they've already missed their chance to stop a no-deal Brexit. Boris Johnson has now vowed to have a general election campaign campaign based on the people versus Parliament. For anyone who has been frustrated and angry over the way Remainer MPs have been trying to stop Brexit for the last three years, this is surely music to your ears. It's certainly more evidence that the new Prime Minister is determined to make Brexit happen, even if it means losing some of his own MPs. And I think you know who we're talking about here. It's now your duty to make sure you kick out all the Remainer MPs who represent Leave constituencies and who are actively standing in the way of democracy. Are you ready for the battle? We'll be talking to Nick Dubois, former Brexit advisor to Dominic Raab and former Tory MP of course as well. 0344 499 1000. Today, Boris will unveil a £1.8 billion worth of investment in the NHS, silencing his critics in the Labour Party who are now infighting over whether to get rid of Jeremy Corbyn before a more and more likely election in the autumn. 0344 4499-1000 is the number. Uh, you've got to be really happy. If you voted to leave the European Union this morning, you have got to be thinking, this is going to happen. It's going to be a Halloween Brexit. Uh, November the 1st, we're going to be out. Coming up later on, we'll be going across to America to find out why no one seems to be able to stop the epidemic of mass shootings. And we'll be heading over to Heathrow, where yet another threatened strike could ruin your holiday. And perhaps my favourite story of the day on the front page of The Times. Not only uh, does the new McDonald's paper straw disappear into any milkshake you put it in, uh, but apparently you can't recycle them either. Isn't that fantastic? Well played, the eco-nutters. Another victory for common sense will be on this show coming up later on. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So this morning's Times newspaper has as its main front page story, Johnson lays ground for people versus politicians poll. Now, if I'm not wrong, I would say that this guy Dominic Cummings is getting everything right, sitting in Downing Street, judging the mood of the people, making sure that those in the Tory party are those in the Tory party that Boris Johnson wants in the Tory party, i.e. we don't want the Dominic Greaves of this world, we don't want the Dr Philip Lees of this world, the people who want to remain in the European Union and will do everything they can, including bringing down the government, to to stop Britain from leaving the European Union, despite the fact that the majority of people voted in the 2016 referendum to leave the European Union. Let's talk to Nick Dubois, former Conservative MP, of course, author of Confessions of a Recovering MP and former uh, Chief of Staff to Dominic Raab when he was Brexit Secretary. Nick, a very good morning to you. Welcome back. Good morning to you, Mike. Glad I must to be ad- with you. I must admit, I'm full of the joys of spring this morning, not least because uh, it seems we've finally got somebody in Downing Street who knows what he wants to do and is getting on with doing it. And I think this will play to even some Remainers, perhaps not the more extreme, but the fact of the matter is there are people who want Brexit done. They want this settled. They want the uncertainty put to one side. And we're now seeing a government that right from the very top is going to have people in place, already in the Cabinet, already in the government, 
who are going to get behind this policy of we are sorting this by the 31st of October, deal or no deal. But also there's a certain uh, sort of confidence that, that Boris Johnson is speaking with, a certain sort of way of, of, of operating that Dominic Cummings seems to be instituting in Downing Street, which is the entire opposite of what Theresa May's dithering was all about. Well, the point is, they made a decision. Uh, that's a huge change, if you like. They, they made it clear that we will not be um, uh, seeking an extension. We will not be uh, accepting the backstop. So it's kind of, as far as the uh, negotiations on the withdrawal agreement are, it's basically over to you, EU. This is our position. We know we can get uh, a withdrawal agreement of sorts. Let's not confuse that with Theresa May's withdrawal agreement. Uh, a withdrawal agreement deal with you uh, through Parliament if you get rid of this ridiculous backstop to start with. But they don't even want to consider that. It's in the hands now of the EU to say, yes, we're prepared to talk on the terms that you've now outlined, new Prime Minister, with, um, uh, with the temptation of getting something sorted by the 31st of October. And if they don't, so be it. We will embrace no deal. And I think the European Union is also getting this message. I've been talking to various people over the course of the last couple of weeks uh, from the European Parliament, including some Brexit MEPs, and they are all very much of the view that the Europeans are trying their very best to sort of, you know, pretend that everything's going fine and pretend that, you know, well, there's nothing more we can do, but behind the scenes are basically panicking and trying to make sure that they've got some kind of strategy to counter what's coming out of Downing Street, because they've never seen anything like it. Well, no, for two years... Uh, basically, they knew the British government weren't serious about no deal. Right. Uh, and so their negotiating position and their negotiation strategy was evolved around the fact that Britain wants a deal, come what may. Now, many of us realise that that wasn't uh, a, a good position to have, and I think we're now seeing with the new government, with Boris Johnson at the head, that he has left them in no doubt that no deal is something we will go into, albeit reluctantly, but we will embrace it and go for it because we'd like to have a deal with you guys, but if you're not prepared to negotiate, if you're not prepared to rule out the things that could never get through Parliament, uh, any Parliament, I hasten to add, um, then, uh, then fine, we're off on the 31st. And let's look at Dominic Cummings' statement over the weekend, or his message at the very least, which is basically saying to Labour and to the Lib Dems and to anybody else who wants to try and prevent a no deal, that basically it's too late. You know, we can uh, decide to filibuster and beyond the date of October 31st, leave with no deal, and then have an election. There are some who don't think that is possible. I'm not one of those. I think it is, isn't it? Well, it's certainly the, uh, the legal default position that we're coming out on the 31st of October. What the detractors are saying, what those who are opposed to us coming out with no deal, of course, many of those in Parliament, what they are saying is, if you lose a vote of no confidence, Prime Minister, which is what they'd have to start with, yeah. and if you lose that vote of no confidence, you are effectively a caretaker government and you cannot make major decisions. But that's what they say, that isn't necessarily what can happen. Uh, you can't, they can't force this Prime Minister to go and ask for an extension. They just cannot, I cannot see how they can do that um, under the terms and the outlines that, that, that they're talking about. I just do not see how it can happen. So I think the Prime Minister holds the cards on that. But what would not, what is what also emerged over the weekend, Mike, and we can talk about this, is basically this idea that's reported in the Times today, that, look, if you force this Prime Minister into an election, which obviously a vote of confidence 
could do. If you force this prime minister into election, it will be basically uh, going to the country, the Conservatives going to the country and saying, who do you back, the people or parliament? Because for the first time, really, in, 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 in decades, centuries, you've actually effectively got parliament against the will of the people. Effectively, the will of the people was the referendum. When a clear, ma- when a clear decision was made that the people would promise we would implement the referendum decision, whatever it may be. Parliament has frustrated that process. That's simple. That's beyond doubt. That is beyond doubt. But the question, I suppose, really is, is if Parliament can be some, somehow kind of sidestepped, if you like, in order for the 31st beat to be the date that Britain leaves the European Union, what then happens in a general election? Because, you know, there will be those who will argue, well, how about, how about the, uh, uh, the Remainer MPs blocking uh, Leave constituents who voted to leave? What about Leave MPs representing Remain constituencies? I know there's not as many of them, but there's still a few. If you're saying, can I predict the outcome of the next general election? <laughs> um, uh, no, I, I can't. But I think that the brutal reality and the sense of fairness in British people is that there was the vote. The vote was won on the referendum. If the general election is called on, look, um, uh, uh, Parliament is trying to frustrate Brexit, do you back the people's decision against the politicians? Yes. Uh, I know who's going to win that. Oh, sure. And, I think, and, and I think that's why Dominic Cummings is, a very, is using well, some very smart uh, and very interesting ways of, 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 of kind of manoeuvring the conversation. Well, Mike, uh, it's, it's a position that uh, he's held, and, and it's a position I think he's right to have assessed. Um, I, I, think, I think he's thought this through, because he, before he was asked to go to number 10, it's quite clear it's emerged that he was working, if you like, on a new campaign, a new strategy to get to get the referendum result delivered. So I don't think this is new to Dominic Cummings, but I'm actually quite excited. You know, for the first time, Mike, I'm almost thinking, oh, yeah, let's have this, let's have this election yeah. because we can win this. Well, also, and we if can you win look... this and get an endorsement to deliver the Brexit that was promised yeah. in 2016. And if you look at the state of the parties, if you like, I mean, Labour are in absolute and utter disarray. Alan Johnson uh, today agreeing with Alistair Campbell that basically Jeremy Corbyn is the worst yeah. Labour leader of all time, completely and utterly useless, a disaster, uh, a, a, a sort of a poll, uh, you know, the opposite of whatever Croesus is. Um, you know, this, everything this guy touches turns to absolute dust. And they haven't had a decent election result, really, uh, it's ever since he's been in charge. And the Lib Dems, meanwhile, have come out quite happily under Joe Swinson to say that if there was a second referendum, which Leave won, she would not honour it. Yeah, which is an extraordinary thing to do. Yeah. I, I, I just, I just park that and let people uh, understand what's been said there for yeah. a second. That the new leader of the Liberal Democrats is saying, whatever you decide, the people, um, uh, and if that decision is to leave the EU again, should there ever be a second referendum, we will oppose that decision. It's quite extraordinary. But let's park that, because whilst they have a political revival of sorts, uh, I I don't think that it's a game changer where the Liberal Democrats are, and certainly not with that position. What is a bit of a game changer is the fact that, as we saw in the Brecon and Radnor by-election, that the um, Brexit vote, uh, the Brexit party vote, disintegrated, quite low, compared to what it had been doing before, and that is because the clear, unequivocal message and belief that Boris Johnson will deliver Brexit on the 31st of October. And and if there is a choice in a general election, um, and that choice is very much the, the people versus the parliament, Brexit, 31st of October, Parliament is trying to stop it. Who do you back, the people or Parliament? I'm, I'm pretty clear where it will go, and I think the Brexit Party will 
uh, be put back in their box. Well, I was going to say, I mean, if you leave Europe and then have an election, then what's the point of the Brexit Party standing? Because you've already left. Well, I mean, the other the other question, I suppose, is the other story in the Times today is that the Remain campaigners are targeting 100 seats for tactical voting, which would be, I suppose, similar to what they did uh, in Brecon, whereby, you know, Plaid Cymru stood away as the Greens did and left it to the Lib Dems to win that particular seat. But, but um, can you see that happening, Mike? Can you see the Green Party agreeing not to stand in all these seats? Can you see Plaid Cymru not standing in Wales in a general election? I think, I think frankly, I've, I've, I'm, I'm very long in the tooth. I've, I've heard of decapitation strategies, that rather ugly term employed by um, uh, uh, people advocating uh, tactical voting when they wanted to uh, literally target high-profile ministers to get them out through tactical voting. We now have this latest plan um, where, 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 where targeting and great schemes are being devised. The British public generally see through most of mm. these things, and they will vote for what they consider um, you know, the fairest and, and best option, both for the country and reflects their needs. And if this is a Brexit election... Again, I would say that the choice that uh, Boris Johnson's putting forward is between the people and the Parliament. Is it's a bit of a no-brainer who's going to who's going to win that? Yes, indeed. Lib Dems didn't do themselves any favours on Friday when Christine Jardin appeared on this very show and basically said that uh, she likened people who voted Leave to children. Uh, who needed to be told what to do and needed them, uh, decisions made for them. Uh, she got an awful lot of clog over the course of the weekend for, as, as a direct result of that. And not surprisingly, because Lib Dems now, there's nothing worse than a Lib Dem who thinks they've got a chance of winning an election. They've become sort of slightly deranged, don't they? Well, the, the main problem is they need to remember they, all, they often do very well in by-elections, and that's yeah. what we've just had. And they did win they, 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 on a very narrow majority. Well, particularly in by-elections where yeah. the Tory candidate happens to have been sent back to be re-elected because, uh, because he fiddled his expenses, and in a seat which they have shared for the last 30 years, 50-50, with the Tories. And where they had to get the Greens and Plaid Cymru to yeah. stand down. So it's quite extraordinary. I mean, it doesn't actually necessarily reflect well on the Conservatives' choice, um, well, that was a stupid probably, idea, wasn't it, well, to let him run again, wasn't it? I think, in fairness, um, you know, it was probably more on the basis that they thought they would get an absolute pasting and yeah. had seen the Boris Johnson um, leadership coming so, uh, and the change that that would affect. So I think, you know, what's done is done. Uh, and, uh, uh, but, but certainly there were lessons learned there. Uh, for me, I think that the, uh, the issue over the, the next month is going to be, will the EU come to the table and actually say, OK, we are prepared to talk to you again? If not, they leave themselves in the position where they are effectively saying, um, we'll cause no deal because we won't talk to you anymore. That's the bottom line. Yeah. That's what the EU are going to do. That's going to emerge over the summer. We'll then have Parliament back in those uh, two weeks in September. That's when, no doubt... Um, Remain-minded MPs and Jeremy Corbyn will decide whether to have their no-confidence vote or not. Uh, my answer to that is bring it on, uh, if that's what you intend to do. Otherwise, it's time to get behind um, the, 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 the reality of the fact that if the EU won't talk to us, it is, it is time to get behind the, um, the reality of no deal and the opportunities of no deal. And as far as Europe is concerned, and I don't mean the European Parliament or the European Union, I mean Europe, because I know you spend a bit of time there. What's the mood music about Britain and about the way that we are now currently poised, by the looks of things, to leave? Well, it's quite interesting. If you talk to real people, so I was, uh, I was doing some broadcasting and talking to people uh, in Spain, uh -huh. where there's a huge um, expat community uh, down there. 
their overriding sentiment is, yes, of course, they're, 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 they're nervous about some of the details, and then, uh, you know, they, they, I, that's understandable, but they want it sorted. They want it sorted one way or the other. They are, they are glad that there is a position that is clear and unequivocal from the prime minister. Uh, I'd be misleading you if I said all of them want to go for no deal, but they think the best way to get a deal is to actually have a clear, unequivocal position that we have the deadline of the 31st of October, and if necessary, uh, we will go and embrace no deal. So that is clear. In political circles, Mike, it is different. So you go from country to country. You go to France, where France are actually, um, uh, if you like, I think, I think that they, their, their attitude is very much... France will be at the heart of a future EU. If Britain is not part of it, that's fine. And we are not conceding um, from the Elysee Palace. We're not conceding to uh, the British position. So they don't want to move. That's where they are at the moment. And yet, if you go into northern France, the politicians, even the businesses, the ports, they are spending money and gearing up to make sure that no deal is not the catastrophe that everyone keeps warning it's yeah. going to be. Well, I was going to say, what do you say to those people? Because we hear it every single day now, although it gets more and more desperate, as it did in The Observer on Sunday, that school meals will apparently now be disrupted, schools may have to shut down. I mean, all of this it nonsense. It's amazing but, that we ever got by before the year. I know, <laughs> but people are starting to get tired of it. People are starting to disbelieve some of this fear-mongering. But what can I say to the people who are listening to this show who are still slightly worried that a no-deal is in the world of many politicians going to be a catastrophe for Britain? Well, I don't believe it will be a catastrophe for Britain. First of all, in the short term, there are um, uh, huge steps that have been taken by both government here and by um, the operators, for example, as I've just said, on our main, um, uh, our main link with the continent through the Channel Tunnel, Dover, Calais. Huge work has been going on. Money has been spent. New customs uh, places are in place. New customs uh, officers are in place. And what they're actually even predicting is they will maintain the same flow. That's not me, an ex-British politician speaking. That is the head of the ports over in um, Boulogne and Calais. Yes. And that's what they're predicting. So I think we have to, we have to realistically expect some disruption. I agree. But the idea of this catastrophe uh, taking place is frankly nonsense. Yeah. Meanwhile, um, contrary to what you read in the press, and I oversaw a lot of those things, admittedly several months ago now, that what, the, what is in the control of the government for no deal is actually in not bad shape at all. It's been helped by the fact, ironically, we've had an extension from March to October. Where work has yet to be done, and I'm delighted the government are doing it, is actually with many businesses, exporting businesses in particular, who had not really, because they were getting on with their day job, where there's still quite a few who have not necessarily ticked the right boxes, done the right forms to ensure that they can continue to uh, manage customs, declarations, and all these sorts of things. So a huge publicity campaign, rightly so, some two million, is being spent to not just help advise, but to help them implement and complete the necessary stuff that business has to do. Look, I don't want to come on here and say 
this is a walk in the park. Of course, it's it, you know, it's not a walk in a park, but it's not the end of the world. Okay, it's not jumping off a cliff either. Is that exactly right, Nick? Thanks very much indeed, Nick Dubois, former Conservative MP, author of Confessions of a Recovering MP, a great book. If you haven't read it, get it for the summer holidays. Read it on the beach if you can get away, because British Airways striking uh, isn't stopped you, or because Heathrow Airport striking hasn't stopped you. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. Uh, Nick, of course, was also a chief of staff to Dominic Raab when he was Brexit secretary, so he knows what he's talking about. He knows all about the no deal scenario and the preparations. This, I have to say, is going to be a great week. It's going to be another great week in the Independent Republic because Boris Johnson, with the help of all of the proper Tory MPs who want to leave the European Union and who voted to leave the European Union and all the cabinet members who are as one, they are heading in the right direction, I kid you not, and they are leaving the European Union, come what may, do or die, as Boris said, on October 31st. You should be celebrating. You should be happy. You've got to do your duty. 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is Talk Radio. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Independent Republican Mike Graham, don't forget uh, if we uh, miss you at any point during the course of the day, there is a podcast that goes out every single day after the show, Monday to Friday. You can get your hands on it. You can get it through iTunes. You can get it uh, on Spotify. You can get it as well through Acast, any of the good podcast platforms. Tell people if they can't listen between 10 and 1, just get the podcast. It's very, very easy. It's fantastic. Now, uh, we've got loads more calls to take on a whole variety of subjects, including, of course, what we've done so far, uh, the shootings in America, uh, Boris Johnson and his, and his vow uh, to leave by the 31st of October and also to have a sort of election, we think, sometime in November uh, because it's the people versus parliament, which I think is going to be a fascinating match-up because it's about time somebody stood up for the people. We're going to speak now, though, to Rebecca Davidson, who's a rural insurance specialist at NFU Mutual, because strangely enough, and you might not know about this, farm theft claims are at a seven-year high. So let's find out from Rebecca what's going on. Rebecca, very good morning to you. Welcome. Morning, Mike. Thanks very much for joining us. It's not something I suppose that many people, particularly uh, those who live in the, in the metropolitan areas of this country, even consider to be a problem, but, but it's obviously a massive one. It is, and NFU Mutual figures reveal that it actually cost the UK about £50 million last year, wow. rural crime, and it's gone up about 12% in the last year. Right, and what sorts of things are stolen? Because obviously that's a lot of money, and, and I guess farm vehicles would be in, in the frame, possibly, um, you know, quite expensive pieces of equipment. Yes, you're right. I think um, before maybe a lot of the organised criminal bands would have been targeting high-value sports cars and Ferraris. And then about 10 years ago, they worked out that tractors were worth tens of thousands of pounds. Um, they have a central steering position, yeah. so not a left or right-hand drive. So they were actually exporting them overseas and making a lot of money. And obviously in the countryside, it's quite isolated. So they took advantage right. of that. I mean, not easy, though, to shift. Uh, I mean, we've all seen, um, you know, gone in 60 seconds. You can shift a few stolen 
stolen cars overseas quite quickly, but moving a tractor uh, into the, the continent of Europe must be a bit uh, easy to spot, wasn't it? Well, it, it is a highly planned criminal, um, you know, job, but uh, they'll use uh, curtain-sided lorries, and we find that enormous tractors are getting stolen. As I said, they're very high value, and then they're uh, shipped abroad, and we have um, funding for a specialist police unit, and we're tracking uh, tractors back to mainland Europe, um, even Africa and the Far really? East. Blimey. Yes. So it is obviously very well organised. And so when you say it costs the country sort of 50 million, how does how does it cost us money? How do, how do we work that out? Yeah. Well, we at NFU Mutual, we insure about three quarters of the UK's farmers. So our claim statistics um, give us a pretty good idea of what's going on. And we've been producing this report for about 20 years now. So that's the total cost of rural theft in the countryside. And some people are saying that they're also losing um, their, their dogs. A sheep dog could be stolen from them. I mean, is anyone... Presumably nobody's actually stealing livestock or anything, are they? People are uh, stealing livestock. Are so wrestling is one of the oldest crimes, even since the cavemen kept goats. Mm. Um, and, yes, about a generation ago, we'd have seen one or two lambs being taken for the pot. Now we're seeing up to 100 sheep being stolen in a single raid. And, um, again, it's a very organised professional you know operation yeah. and so they're using working dogs and worryingly we found that there's a new trend of wrestlers stealing dogs uh, working dogs from farms one farmer i spoke to the other day had actually got his recovered because they were chipped um, but one of them kept breaking out at night wanting to herd up the sheep and so obviously that dog had been stolen specifically to sh steal other sheep right. and um, yes and so that's what the wrestlers had retrained it for goodness me and as far as a lot of the farms are concerned i suppose the bigger ones are at more risk even than the smaller ones because there's because they are so big and I was reading about one that's got 17 different entrances that's the thing. The, the thieves will look for one route in and maybe one route out. If you've got 17 different entrances, then there are more opportunities for thieves to get away. But we get regular reports of pickups being you know, driven over fields, smashing through fences and gates as well. Right. And have you got, I mean, obviously, as an insurance company, you'll have, um, you know, certain rules and regulations. I mean, are you in a position to pay out most of these or are there circumstances where you just have to turn around and go, well, you're not insured for that? Well, we're a mutual insurer and, and these claims are actually based on our claim statistics. So the figures that you're seeing today is based on what we pay out. And we pay out about sort of 99% of our claims anyway. Yeah. And we're a mutual, so we're set up for our members rather than shareholders. Um, so we try and pay wherever possible. Right. And so, I mean, you're, this is an announcement rather than anything else then, a 26% rise in claims. I mean, you're not providing us with a solution for it or a suggestion of what we can do. We do provide solutions and suggestions so we work very closely with the police um, we've invested 1.5 million pounds in crime beating initiatives and also we produce a rural crime report to help people in the countryside protect themselves so there's lots of different things you can do from physical security and fences and even digging dry ditches that we used to have in medieval times to working with your community and sharing information on social media and also technology has really yeah. come on a long way so I was going to say I presume that the lack of police is probably not a help because there's not too many of them in the towns that run in the country. Well, in your, in, when you're in an isolated rural area, of course, the response times are going to be a lot longer, which is why social media is now becoming the new eyes and ears of the countryside. And that's how people are sharing information about sightings of dodgy vans and, and other things that are going on. 
No, great. Well, listen, thanks very much for talking to us. Rebecca Davidson there from the NFU Mutual uh, Insurance Company. Incredible amount of stuff being nicked from farms. I'm not sure what you do, really, because if you can't... You can't exactly lock a tractor away, can you? If somebody's going to hotwire a tractor and drive off with it, um, you know, it's going to be a massive problem. But who knew that there was so much crime in the shires, as it were? 0344 499 1000, if you've got any news on that, any stories you want to tell us, by all means, please do so. Uh, let's go back to the phones, though. Uh, Dion is in Langley. Hi, Dion. Yeah, morning, Mike. Morning, yeah, how are you doing? Well, I'm in the countryside. I don't see too many tractors. Huh? Well, I, funny enough, I had a tractor because there's some people who come down and live in, and, and, and rent like sort of country cottages not far from yeah. me, right? And they were all very upset because, of course, what they don't know is if you come to a working farm, sometimes it's not very pleasant. You know, there's tractors going on all night up and down the fields yeah. harvesting stuff, you know, and they weren't very happy about it. <laughs> yeah, it's um, especially if you're driving down a country road, but there you go. Yeah, exactly right. What do you want to tell can us about I, Boris? Yeah, before, can I just big up the NHS? Yes. I've really used them. I think last time was 30-odd years ago when my son was born. Mm. Uh, we before last, I was diagnosed with mouth cancer. And I'll tell you something, they they have moved so quick doing yeah. this and that and... They've been absolutely brilliant, yeah. mate. Listen, I, I, I don't want anyone to get the wrong idea. I do think the NHS is brilliant. I just don't think it's very well run. The people, no, who, are at, the people who are at the sharp end are fantastic. You know, they are some of the best medi yeah. me medical people in the world. However, yeah. um, the way that it's run is inefficient. Uh, they spend too much money on the wrong stuff. They hire the wrong kind of people. We've got shortages of doctors and nurses. That tells you all you need to know. You know, the one thing we shouldn't have shortages of is doctors and nurses. Exactly. I agree with that. The, the admin and all the buyers and everything. I yeah. mean, they're, they're just a shower. They are. And they're wasting yeah. our money and then saying that we need more money. And the problem is, is that if we save the money they're wasting, we wouldn't need more money. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Spend it on better things. Spend it on better things. Well, Boris is going to give some more money to the NHS today. Um, you wanted yeah. to say that uh, you're hopeful that this Brexit business is finally going to be done. Yeah. He's, I think he's lifted the nation, hasn't he, in the I last think so. week, 10 days. You I know, people are talking about it on a happy note. Yeah. As if, I don't know, I think he's going to have to do it. I've got my round in October. I mean, I voted three years ago. I thought it had all been done and dusted by now. Well, exactly. I mean, we could have had it done and dusted by March the 29th if we'd had Boris in charge. And I think maybe, Dion, thanks for your call, I think maybe if, in fact, Theresa May had walked away after her failure... Uh, to hang on to the majority that she had and, and actually have to go into a business with the DUP. I think if she had then walked away and handed over the powers uh, and the reins of power to somebody like Boris Johnson or let there be some kind of leadership election, I think that we might have been in a much better place, to be honest. 0344 499 is the number. Let's talk to Susan, uh, who is in Exeter. Hello, Susan. Uh, good afternoon, Michael. Not quite. Um... Not quite. Oh. We've gone a bit <laughs> early there. Three minutes. I never, win. I never win, do I? <laughs> you always win, Susan. Don't be silly. What what, what can I do I for you? Um, well, I want to talk to you about this this uh, animal rustling, sheep rustling. It's absolutely dreadful what's happening. Huge amounts of animals are being stolen. Uh, when my sister lived in the Shires with yes. her husband and family, uh, they knew of a farmer who lost 300 very, very valuable sheep. Really? Yes. How do they steal 300 well, sheep without anybody noticing? 
I know, but the thing is, they must have been loaded onto a... Well, he, he reckons they must have been loaded onto some sort of double-decker wagon very quickly yeah. um, by some very... Ex- I don't know if you if you know the nature of a sheepdog, Mike, but they're highly intelligent. They are, yes. Yeah, and they must have had some very highly intelligent dogs around all these animals up, get them into the wagon and bang, they're off, you know. Right. They must be... It, it's very, very distressing... They must be slaughtered illegally yes. because when an animal in this country, as you know, is slaughtered um, in the legal way, which they, sh- they should be, uh, they have to have a passport and an identity. Yes, that's right. And also, you know. there's a lot of money involved here. I mean, 300 sheep oh, are worth yes. an awful lot oh, of money, aren't yes. they? yes. And um, they were particularly, uh, his the farmer's daughter was particularly fond of them and it was absolutely devastating. I suggest that farmers... Um, try and get together and try and um, organise some sort of security patrol mm. on, on their land. I know it's difficult but, and it's expensive, but or try and herd them into a barn at night or some enclosure where you can keep an eye on them yeah. and wire it all up with an alarm system, really high alert alarm system, have the dogs ready to yap if anything gets tampered geese, with. Geese, I think, is know. a good one as well. Get some geese. Well, they good. Geese are very good uh, at being guard dogs, better than guard dogs. <laughs> really? They, no, they do, because they make much more noise, yeah. That's why geese were used in medieval times oh. around all the castles and things, because they make a lot more noise than any dog. I, did, I didn't know there that. What a good idea. Well, I think, I think the farmers need to... You know, it's so distressing. You don't want to see these animals. You know, and apart from the loss to the farmer, I wonder where they're getting slaughtered. Is it halal meat? Is it going... Where, no, no where, idea. No idea. You know, it's very, it's very upsetting, isn't it? Is. It? it is upsetting, and like all theft, it leaves you feeling bereft because you feel as though you should have done something to stop it happening. You feel uh, like some kind of uh, guilt over the fact that something has been taken away that you should have protected better. I mean, it's really, really awful. And to see so much of this going on in the rural part of the country now uh, tells you even more why we need more police on the streets and we need more police in all sorts of communities, don't we? 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number. Coming up, uh, we're going to have the latest eco-friendly nonsense from McDonald's, who, of course, brought in the paper straw to save the planet. Guess what? The paper straws can't be recycled. So they've got that one wrong, I'm afraid. Uh, This is Talk Radio. A mid-morning dance with the devil. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Matthew Wright coming up at one o'clock, of course. 0344 499 1000 is the number. We've still got some time uh, to get your calls on as well because, of course, uh, we are the place to call. We are the place to hear uh, common sense and we're the place to hear your common sense, the voice of reason. I'll tell you where there is not much reason going on at the moment, and that's down at Heathrow Airport. We're going to talk to Simon Calder now, uh, travel editor for The Independent, the man who knows all there is to know uh, about the difficulties of getting out uh, of Britain for the summer. 200,000 passengers booked to fly to or from Heathrow Airport are still waiting to be told if their flight is likely to depart. There was due to be a strike today, but it got cancelled. Nevertheless, a load of flights had already been cancelled, and so some people are trying to fly out of Gatwick, some people are stuck at the airport not knowing what to do. Simon, uh, it's a nightmare, isn't it? Very good afternoon to you. 
Nope, Simon's not there. Which, um, oh, yeah, uh, he's he is there. causing deep frustration. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I am here. You Sorry, are. Mike. Um, yeah, extraordinary situation, and one which is causing a great deal of upset to a lot of people. Partly, the I estimate 10,000 people whose flights were cancelled today. And on top of that, um, as you say, 200,000 who simply don't know if they're mm. going to be flying tomorrow. And that's, so, uh, and that's right the worst thing, point. isn't it, surely, Simon? Because the one thing you want to know, and I've been in these situations before, as I'm sure you have, is you want to know, well, what decision should I now make? Should I cancel the holiday altogether? Should I try and rebook it? Should I try and get to another airport? Should I get on the Eurostar and make my way some other, some other form of transport? You know, that's the problem, isn't it? Yeah, but look, here's what's happening, Mike, right at the moment. You've got talks going on at ACAS, busy old place today because uh, um, the British Airways uh, pilots are right. talking to the airline as well. Um, but talks going on between Unite the Union representing 4,000 security officers, engineers, firefighters, saying you've got to give us a better deal. Heathrow is immensely profitable. Your chief executive earns as much in two days as some of us do in a year. Mm. And um, they're simply trying to find a compromise. They found some, they made some progress on Sunday, which is why at 6.30, they suspended the strike for today. But they said we're going to keep plans to strike on Tuesday, and that's what's upsetting people. Just in the past few minutes, I've found the first couple of cancellations, which are on um, uh, Aeroflot to Moscow and also on uh, LOT Polish Airlines to Warsaw. Um, so those won't be uh, going ahead, and I imagine passengers have been told. In addition, Virgin Atlantic and Qatar Airways moving some of their flights across to uh Gatwick because they know that they will be able to get out from there. But the main airline to be affected, British Airways, still hasn't said what flights it will be operating. And you can kind of sympathise with them because they desperately want to operate these flights. It's going to cost them millions if they cancel them. It's going to um, uh, obviously uh, cause lots of disruption for passengers. So they're just kind of keeping their fingers crossed, sitting on their hands, if you can do those two things at the same time. And um, around about five o'clock, if yesterday is anything to go by, Mike, they will cancel those uh, those. Uh, flights mm. only as we found yesterday to reinstate them 90 minutes later that's shocking isn't it because i'm told virgin at qatar airways are continuing to move some flights to gatwick so there's a bit of that going on but i mean is there any way you can advise people what to do if you're sitting currently at heathrow waiting to hear whether your flight is still going or whether it's cancelled or it got cancelled yesterday i mean what are you supposed to do well, the people whose flights were cancelled yesterday um, will already have been told. Um, we've we've got, uh, I count it, 46 either uh, starting and ending at Gatwick or actually cancelled completely. That includes Lufthansa, Frankfurt and Munich, uh, Swiss from Zurich and and uh, Geneva, uh, Air India, Mumbai, and some transatlantic flights as well. Um, so once those have been um, uh, those passengers, in a sense, kind of know that they've been cancelled and can make uh, arrangements. Mm. It's just the people who are due to be travelling tomorrow who simply do not know. I can give you a bit of a steer because I looked at what British Airways cancelled yesterday, and that was um, uh, quite a lot of flights to and from Scotland, uh, two, two round trips to each of Edinburgh and Glasgow, mm. um, also to Amsterdam, Vienna, various other destinations where I imagine bookings are relatively light and they think that they can uh, uh, get um, passengers on alternative flights. Mm. Um, uh, so it's, it, it's, it's a mess. But if you do fly tomorrow from Heathrow and the vast majority of people will do, then even that's going to be quite challenging if the strike goes 
ahead. They're really worried about security queues just getting ridiculously long. So they're saying, okay, even if you your baggage allowance, cabin baggage, which is a very impressive 46 kilograms um, on British Airways, um, you know, one bag and uh, one roller along case and another bag, you can't bring the roller along case. You've got to check it in. They really want to minimise the amount of clobber going through yeah. security to try to keep things moving. Yes, I'm sure they are. But, I mean, all of this, you know, difficulty with flying in the summer and striking going on and the BA possibilities uh, of pilot strike later in the year, the drone problem we had at Gatwick. I mean, this is going to have a knock-on effect, isn't it, long-term, to people who are going to say, well, do you know what? You just can't trust flying. So we're going to do next year, we're going to take a holiday and do something else. Oh, it might do, but there's no evidence, Mike. I, I completely agree with you. Every single time people want to go on holiday, there seems to be some reason which is trying to stop them. But actually, the vast majority of people do get away. I think, in a sense, what this really brings out is the complete lack of resilience in the airport system yeah. uh, in London and South no England. Uh, well, Heathrow Airport is stretched to the absolute maximum. So therefore, you cannot tolerate flights, for example, staying on the ground while they're waiting for passengers to get through security or flights taking off without all their passengers on board because there simply isn't room to kind of shuffle everything around and everyone around. Um, so that's, I imagine, proponents of the third runway will say um, uh, all the more reason for uh, well, uh, yeah. building this thing quick. I suppose. Um, environmentalists would say um, we shouldn't be flying so much anyway. So, uh, you know, catch the train or, yeah. or go Well, go I'll tell you what, if all the people ports. who are in Extinction Rebellion stop flying and all the people who want to save the planet stop flying, that gives a bit more capacity for the rest of us who want to continue to fly. And so maybe they've got, maybe they've got an answer. Oh. I'm looking forward to you putting that point at the next... Extinction Rebellion annual general meeting, Mike. I'll buy a ticket for that. I may well do so. Simon, listen, thank you as ever for the advice. Simon Calder there talking from not far away from Heathrow Airport. If you're trying to get away, it must be absolutely frustrating as hell. And somebody's just reminding me, what if you've got a pet that you've put into a kennel uh, or you've had to cancel putting a pet into a kennel after you've booked it? Because under those circumstances, I'm afraid the problem is that you still get charged. I don't think strikes should be allowed in this country. I think they should be made absolutely and utterly illegal, particularly during the summer months when people have got children, when people have got dogs, cats, mice, snakes, gerbils, tortoises, whatever, that they have to put into somebody's care, they should be allowed to go on holiday unencumbered and uninhibited by bozos who think that it's OK to go on strike during the summer period. Unbelievable. Let's talk to Graham, uh, who's in Grantham, wants to talk some more about the NHS. Hello, Graham. Oh, hello. Hello. Um, what, 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 what have you got for us? Well, basically, your guy that rang up earlier about the buying... Yeah, the um, procurement guy, yeah. That's the fella, yeah. Well, I'm in a similar situation to him. Obviously, I'm retired now. Yeah. But we've had to, as mechanical subcontractors, subcontract into the NHS. And there's nothing to do with the clinical side of it. It's just the fact where some of the money, if you like, gets wasted. Mm. We, um, in our uh, contracts and things like that, have to deal with the, with the buying department. Now, they, as your previous contributor said, con- con- contributor yes. said they put on a, a percentage. The times that I've received, if you like, tenders from DHL or the, the, the buying people, and they forget to put on this percentage, and they say, give us your best price possible. 
So we give them the best price possible. And then after it all goes through, they say, well, OK, you know, it looks like you're going to get that order. Oh, by the way, there's 2.5% on top of that. Well, what's that for? Well, we've given you... We can't knock another... Two. And it, like, it's... Um, I'm wittering on here. I'm terribly sorry. No, no, you're but, not. No, but it's interesting. Yeah. But, I mean, who's in charge? In, 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 well, who's the sort of final arbiter of what, what gets well, paid? Well, to be honest with you, I've spoken to, to people fresh out of allegedly university mm. in the, the NHS purchasing. And because we are, if you like, mechanical subcontractors, and it's a more specialised thing, it's not like buying paper or inkwells or swabs or bandages and things like that, um, there is certain, if you like, engineering input that mm. has to come into it. And what they do is they just sub it all out, basically, because most hospitals in the UK now, I've noticed this money going into hospitals, and they say, oh, well, we're going to improve the infrastructure, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. That'll all go to, to FM companies that have nothing to do. They just, they just <laughs> to use an older Australian expression, bludge off the NHS. They just, <laughs> you know, well, this is the suspicion, you know, because it's a publicly yeah. funded company, there's nobody really watching the money. And yeah, if somebody quite... turns up with an invoice and says, pay this... They just pay it. That is very true. Let me give you just a quick example of it. Um, I was at a particular hospital a while ago, and I saw the engineer there, and uh, he said to me, oh, that ball valve on that machine's gone. We all know what ball valve is, you know, it controls water. Now, they cost about six quid. What he used to do was give one of his um, engineers in the hospital uh, six quid, he'd nip round the corner to the local plumbers, buy a new valve, put it in, um, job done, probably hour hour and a half. Right. Now, he has to go, oh, well, I won't mention the company, he has to uh, uh, contact the company, send in uh, an estimate, they will then say, well, okay, yes, uh, we'll have to do that, we'll send our man down, and that costs £83 right. plus a ball valve. So, And I bet they're paying a lot more than six quid for the ball valve as well. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, Probably 60 yeah. Well, that, that's, that's right. Well, I'll give you an example of it. A bloke I spoke to once, a buyer, we were selling him some equipment, and he said, right, OK, fine, well, you know, you're a, you're a bit too high so in, in price. So I said to him, well, look, what we've done is we can demonstrate to you, which we have done, and you've seen the machinery, over a 10, 15-year lifestyle of this, this piece of machinery, you will save at least 15 to £20,000 because our maintenance costs are much, much lower than everybody else's. Not interested in that. Well, why is that? He said, well, I've, I've got to buy the cheapest thing. And the... NHS, I don't say they have standing orders to their buying departments, but the NHS buys on price. Yes, I'm sure it does. Graham, listen, I've got to run. Thank you for your call, though. Very informative, very interesting. And do join our debates again, because when we talk to people who know about the inside dope on various stories like the NHS and how it is run and how the money is spent, then that uh, is worth its weight in gold to me personally, but also uh, to talk radio and here at the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, because we like to tell the truth here. We don't like to varnish it with anything. We don't like to pretend that something's happening when it isn't. We don't like to make you feel like something's worrying you, uh, which it shouldn't do. And we're never going to tell you that something is definitely going to happen unless it is 0344 499 1000 I'll tell you what's definitely going to happen next that is we're going to talk to Hannah Hope assistant showbiz editor at The Sun uh, about Paul Hollywood and how things have gone a little bit un-Hollywood for him this is Talk Radio across the UK online and on DAB the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio if you enjoyed that be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1 Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60.